All right. So in this episode, this is uh, we're going to be talking about the Griada Treaty or Greta, however you want to call it. And this particular topic is of extreme interest to me personally because I think it's one of the. I mean, I guess looking back, it seems to be one of the more failed cover-ups of a former president meeting with extraterrestrials. So we'll jump right into it. So on the night and early hours of February 20th and the 21st in 1954, while on a so-called vacation to Palm Springs in California, President Dwight Eisenhower went missing and was allegedly taken to Edwards Air Force Base for a secret meeting. Now, when he showed up the next morning at a church service in Los Angeles, reporters were told that he had to have emergency dental treatment the previous evening and had visited a local dentist. The dentist later appeared at a function that evening and presented himself as the dentist who had treated Eisenhower. Who had treated Eisenhower. Now, the missing night and morning has subsequently fueled rumors that Eisenhower was using the alleged dentist visit as a cover story for a much more substantial and extraordinary event. And the event is possibly the most significant that any American president could have conducted, an alleged first contact meeting with extraterrestrials at Edwards Air Force Base, previously known as Murak Airfield and the beginning of a series of meetings with different extraterrestrial races that led to a treaty that was eventually signed. And assuming that this first contact event occurred, it's been well over 50 years. Now, there is circumstantial and testimonial evidence supporting Eisenhower's meeting with extraterrestrials and the start of a series of meetings that culminated in the signing of a treaty with a different group of extraterrestrials. And the most intriguing are circumstances surrounding Eisenhower's alleged winter vacation to Palm Springs. So firstly, the vacation for the president, which was announced rather suddenly and came less than a week after Eisenhower's quail shooting vacation in Georgia was a little bit odd to begin with. And according to UFO researcher William Moore, all this was quite unusual and suggested that there was more to the one-week visit to Palm Springs than a simple holiday. Second, on the Saturday night of February 20th, President Eisenhower did go missing, fueling press speculation that he had taken ill or in fact maybe even died. And so... In a hastily convened press conference, Eisenhower's press secretary announced that Eisenhower had lost a tooth cap while eating fried chicken and had to be rushed to a local dentist. And the local dentist was introduced at an official function on Sunday, February 21st, as the dentist who had treated the president. Now, Moore's investigation of the incident concluded that the dentist's visit was being used as a cover story for Eisenhower's true whereabouts. Now, before I go on, I just want to uh, say very quickly that, again, I guess you could make a conspiracy out of almost anything, but the concept behind all of this has to do with the fact that this was very odd and seemed to be something that in today's day and age, you could not cover up. However, at that time, is something you could very easily have covered up. Now, 
the excuse of him eating fried chicken seemed a little bit odd, but I guess that's what happens when it's the middle of the night and you can't use an official presidential meeting or agenda to excuse his sudden disappearance. Now, consequentially, or consequently, rather, Eisenhower was missing for an entire evening and could easily have been taken from Palm Springs to the nearby Moroc airfield, which was later renamed the Edwards Air Force Base. The unscheduled nature of the president's vacation, the missing president, and the dentist cover story provide circumstantial evidence that the true purpose of his Palm Springs vacation was for him to attend an event whose importance was such that it could not be disclosed to the general public. And a meeting with extraterrestrials may well have been the purpose of his visit. Now, the first public source alleging a meeting with extraterrestrials was Gerald Light, who in a letter dated April 16, 1954, to Mead Lane, the then director of Borderland Sciences Research Associates, claimed he was part of a delegation of community leaders to an alleged meeting with extraterrestrials at Edwards Air Force Base. Now, in a subsequent article, Mead Lane described Light as a gifted and highly educated writer and lecturer who was skilled both in clairvoyance and in the occult. And so Light was a well-known metaphysical community leader in the Southern California area. And the alleged purpose of him and others on the delegation was to test the public reaction to the presence of extraterrestrials. And so Light described the circumstances of the meeting as follows. And I, I quote, My dear friends, I have just returned from Edwards Air Force Base, again at the time named Morocco. The report is true, devastatingly true. I made the journey in company with Franklin Allen of the Hearst Papers and Edwin Norse of Brokings Institute. And Bishop Mayenture, I think that's how his name is spelled, Bishop Mayenture of L.A. When we were allowed to enter the restricted section, after about six hours in which we were checked on every possible item, event, incident, and aspect of our personal and public lives, I had the distinct feeling that the world had come to an end with fantastic realism. For I have never seen so many human beings in a state of complete collapse and confusion, as they realized that their own world had indeed ended with such finality as to beggar description. The reality of the other plain aeroforms is now and forever removed from the realms of speculation and made a rather painful part of the consciousness of every responsible scientific and political group. During my two days visit, I saw five separate and distinct types of aircraft being studied and handled by our Air Force officials with the, assist, the assistance and permission of the Ethereans. I have no words to express my reactions. It has finally happened. It is now a matter of history. President, Eis, President Eisenhower, as you may already know, was spirited over to Morocco one night during his visit to Palm Springs recently, and it is my conviction that, will, that he will ignore the terrific conflict between the various authorities and go directly to the people via radio and television if the impasse continues much longer. From what I could gather, any official statement to the country is being prepared for delivery about the middle of May. End quote. Now, here's the thing. 
This is a legitimate letter written to many multiple academics, as I just mentioned. Now, of course, as we know, no such formal announcement was in fact made, and Light's supposed meeting has either been the best-kept secret of the 20th century or the fabrication of an elderly mystic known for out-of-body experiences. Now, the events that Light describes in his meeting in terms of the panic and confusion of many of those present, the emotional impact of the alleged landing, and the tremendous difference of opinion on what to do in terms of telling the public and responding to the extraterrestrial visitors are plausible descriptions of what may have in fact occurred. Now, the question then becomes, how was he aware of President Eisenhower's dismissal and sort of quick arrival to this particular Air Force base? I mean, this was not, at the, at the time particularly when this occurred, for many years after, there wasn't even any conspiracy theory or theory that he had been rushed to this base. Right, And again, at the time, it was much easier to sort of keep secrets more closely held and, and closely guarded. But the, the, the psychological and the emotional impact that Light describes for senior national security leaders at the meeting is consistent with what could be expected for such a, a life-changing event, if you want to call it. And so a further way of determining Light's claim is to investigate the figures he named along with himself as part of the community delegation and whether they could have been plausible candidates for such a meeting. And so this part talks about some of the people who claim they saw Ike talking to ETs. Incidentally, personally, I mean, I have a great respect for Ike and all that he's done for, for America, but... Here's the thing about all of this. There, there are a number of other sources alleging an extraterrestrial meeting at Edwards Air Force Base that corresponded to a, a formal first contact event. And these sources are based on testimonies of whistleblowers that witnessed documents or learned from their insider contacts of such a meeting. Now, again, like I said, it was much easier to cover things up at the time, but at the same time, if something were to get out, it would also be easier to keep that secret of how it got out and who leaked it. Now, these testimonies describe what appears to be two separate sets of meetings involving different extraterrestrial groups who met either with President Eisenhower and or with the Eisenhower administration officials over a short period of time. And so the first of these meetings, the actual first contact event, did not lead to an agreement and the extraterrestrials were effectively spurned. Now, the second of these meetings did lead to an agreement and this has been apparently become the basis of subsequent secret interactions with extraterrestrial races involved in the treaty that was signed. Now, there's some discrepancy in the sequence of meetings and where they were held, but all of them agree that a first contact meeting involving President Eisenhower did in fact occur and that one of these meetings occurred with his February 1954 visit to Edwards Air Force Base. So, before I go on, what I'd like to say very quickly is this has to do, and supposedly this initial agreement is something called the Griada 
treaty, as I mentioned earlier. Now, what better way to cover up a supposed treaty by hiding it in plain sight? Because if you simply Google the Griotta Treaty, essentially what the the public narrative of the Griotta Treaty is, is that it is essentially an agreement between all major countries around the world having to do with space exploration and space travel, and that down the road, uh, the same rules and sanctions in which apply to every country on this planet terrestrially should be applied to that of what's occurring in space. Now, I know that there's a lot of what I missed out on regarding the, the description of the Griotta Treaty, but I just want to note that by hiding this treaty in plain sight and by using this narrative of pushing that of a treaty in which I guess you could say would seem to be something more realistic, at least for the public's perspective, it seems as though that this is something in which would be a perfect way to to sort of I guess to sort of hide what's what's really going on underneath. Now, the first version of Eisenhower's meeting is described by one of the most sort of, I guess you could say, controversial whistleblowers to ever have come forward into the public arena to describe an extraterrestrial presence. So, William Coper served on the Naval Intelligence Briefing Team for the commander of the Pacific Fleet between 1970 in 1973 and had access to classified documents that he had to review in order to fulfill his briefing duties. Now, he describes the background and nature of the first contact with extraterrestrials as follows. In 1953, astronomers discovered large objects in space which were moving towards the Earth. It was first believed that they were asteroids, but later evidence proved that the objects could only be spaceships. Now, When the objects reached the Earth, they took up a very high orbit around the equator. There were several huge ships, and their actual intent was unknown. But Project Sigma and a new project, Plato, through radio communications, using the computer binary language, was able to arrange a landing that resulted in face-to-face -face contact with alien beings from another planet. Now, Project Plato was tasked with establishing diplomatic relations with this race of space aliens. In the meantime, a race of human-looking aliens contacted the U.S. government, and this alien group warned us against the aliens that were orbiting the equator and offered to help us with our spiritual development. And they demanded that we dismantle and destroy our nuclear weapons as the major condition of this agreement. Now, what I want to say before I move on very quickly is that these particular beings in which are human-looking that, that contacted the U.S. government to help them with their spiritual advance, help us, rather, with our spiritual advancement, seem to be that of the Nordic Blondes, in, or the Tall Whites, if you want to call them. And I think they do have another name, but I can't, uh, can't seem to remember it at this moment. However, it seems to coincide directly with that of the Nordic Blonde theory or proposal. Now, the thing about this is that what I'm basing this off of are documents and research and quotes from the 1950s and the 1960s. This was long before the Tall Whites or the Nordic Blonde race, if you want to call it, from another planet did in fact 
or, or was in fact even a, a conspiracy theory to begin with. And so they believed that we'd essentially blow ourselves to shit with their technology. I mean, they refused to exchange technology, citing that we were spiritually unable to handle the technology when, which we then possessed. They believed that we would use any new technology to destroy each other, and this race stated that we were on a path of self-destruction and we must stop killing each other, polluting the earth, stop uh, uh, essentially taking the earth's natural resources and learn to live in harmony. And supposedly, when this was said to the U.S. government, these terms were met with extreme suspicion, especially the major condition of nuclear disarmament. It was believed that meeting, that condition, would leave us helpless in the face of an obvious alien threat. And the thing is, is that we also had nothing in history to help with this decision or use anything that we could base this decision off of, right? Now, the significant point about this particular whistleblower's version is that the humanoid extraterrestrial race was not willing to enter into technology exchanges that might help weapons development and instead was focused on spiritual development. So... At the time, at least, the overtures of these extraterrestrials were turned down. So, again, this was at the time. It has also been said that there are some Nordic blondes and tall whites that are, in fact, living among us right now. Not many, but supposedly it's very easy to confuse them with that of humans from this Earth. Now confirmation that the first contact meeting involved extraterrestrials who were effectively spurned for, for taking what might be considered a principled stand on technology assistance and nuclear weapons comes from the son of a former Navy commander who claimed that his father had been present at the first contact event on the 20th and 21st of February 1954. So, according to Charles L. Sugas, a retired sergeant from the U.S. Marine Corps, his father was a former commander with the U.S. Navy who attended the meeting at Edwards Air Force Base with Eisenhower, and they recounted his father's experiences from the meeting in a 1991 interview with a prominent UFO researcher. And so, it has been said that they met and spoke with two white-haired Nordics that had pale blue eyes and colorless lips, and the spokesman stood a number of feet away from them and would not let them approach any closer. A second Nordic stood on the extended ramp of a bi-convict saucer that stood on tripod landing gear on the landing strip. Now, according to the father, there were B-58 hustlers on the field, even though the first one did not fly officially until 1956, which just kind of shows the advancement in technology as well that they knew prior to this. Now, these visitors said they came from another solar system, and they posed detailed questions about our nuclear testing. So, here's the thing. And I will do another episode on this. There has also been the speculation of different species of aliens, such as the types that look very similar to that of a praying mantis. 
that we have on Earth, except much larger. A praying mantis, essentially a little bit bigger than that of the average human height. There has also been speculation of that of gray aliens. And on top of these gray aliens, there's been speculation of that of these Nordic blondes and tall whites. Now, those seem to sort of be the, the, the generally the three main species um, that seem to be at least discussed or talked about because of the fact that they may indeed be the species in which are communicating the most with the U.S. government. Now, there is a major proposal that these gray aliens are in fact that of robotic probes, if you want to call them. They are biological, biologically created, yes, but they have no reproductive organs because of the fact that they are, in fact, sort of, I guess, robots, if you will, in which are sent out to multiple different parts of the, the universe in which, in which are just out there to explore and research different types of life, if you will. Sort of like how we send a Mars rover or a, a robot to Mars. They have a much more advanced way of sending their robots, if you want to call it, to other planets and systems. Why do it yourself when you can send them, right? So in the case of, an, of, of something occurring or happening, is something bad happening, such as the, the many UFO crashes that many people have witnessed and that the government's covered up, they wouldn't actually be the ones being killed in the crash or experimented on it would simply be their probes and their beings also because it's been said that these gray aliens and probes have been have had matching dna in every single sense of the form therefore meaning they could very well be ai clones of certain sorts if you want to call them now again i can i can go on and on for a long time with with the notes and there's also a a treaty in which was made with the the grays now, I probably will be doing another episode on that just because of how detailed and descriptive it is, but it seems as though these Nordic blondes, unless they're pushing some type of massive deception upon us, they seem to be the ones in which have our best interests at heart. Now, again, I'm not at liberty to say to what extent that might be the case, but it seems as though that at least from these whistleblower accounts and these proposals and speculations and rumors over the last 50, 60 years, it seems as though these Nordic blondes and these tall whites do indeed have our best interests at heart, if you'd like to call it. Anyways, that's, uh, that's all for this episode. I hope this helped inform you guys on the, the Griada Treaty, as it's called, and the different beings and different hesitations that humans have had with these uh, alien, I guess, species or counterparts. And let me know what you guys think. Aside from that, we will catch you next time. Thank you.